Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me this week, as always, is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. I don't know if you guys heard about this, but last week, the United States Senate voted unanimously to extend daylight savings time forever started in, in 2023. Now, this has a couple more steps that it has to go through before it actually happens. But this is something that I've been asking for in one way or another for an awful <laughs> long time. But I am curious how other people, including the two of you, feel about it. How do you feel about this? Oh, my answer is not very interesting. I feel like, <laughs> like most things on this podcast, I have a very moderate stance. I think daylight savings time... The, the switching back and forth is annoying because there's yes, inevitably yeah. the moment of shock where I'm like, oh, I slept in or oh, why is it so mm-hmm. early or oh, this my microwave's suck, off. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Every, this week, every year is bad. So yeah. so as we were recording this, we just did the switch where you lose an hour mm-hmm. and you have to wake up at uh, like an hour before you normally would. You have to go to bed an hour before you normally would. And I, I can't. And certainly a five-year-old child can't. No. Mm-hmm. He's very confused. Cats also get quite confused with their food yes. schedule. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> they, they, cats are very, 
They know. Yeah. And then you like look at them and you're like, no, I'm sorry. It's not time yet. And they're like, yes, it is. I'm a cat. You cannot gaslight me. <laughs> I don't use your numbers and your clocks. Yeah. Yeah. It's tummy time. Would you be happy? Yeah, I think so. just stop changing the clocks forever. But you don't care that much? But I don't care that much because, and I think it's because I've mostly been an adult where my technology changes the time for me. Like, I remember yeah. it being a kid. It was a whole to-do mm-hmm. of, like, let's yeah. run around the house. Let's, like, mm-hmm. reset all our VCR clocks and clock clocks and whatnot. But now yeah. I don't have to think about it. So it's, like, a negligible negative impact to my life. The clock part does not bother me at all. The waking yeah. up part is what bothers me. <laughs> That's the bad part. You don't mind the waking up an hour or like the losing an hour. You don't mind that. I mean, it's annoying, but I hate waking up anyway. Like every right. day we'll I dread waking every- up. So it's really not any different. And uh, there's no really day when I'm happy to awaken. <laughs> yeah, Samuel. I'm cranky in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Sam? How you feel? I hate losing that hour i just feel like insane for two days or something for no like just an hour but i have to get like exactly seven hours of sleep if i get too much i'm really mean if i get too little i'm really mean and stupid and i (laughs) i need that not to happen to me guaranteed once a weekend but i'm also can't wrap my mind around what it would mean for the whole year so like I'm here to I'm here to answer this question for you because I just did a bunch of research for this for a video that will come out before this podcast. Okay, great. Um, which is that it means that for the entire year, the sun will rise later and set later. Okay. So the idea, what Congress wants to do is what most people want if you ask them, which is they would like to have more hours in the evening with daylight so that their kids can play yeah. more outside mm-hmm. so that they can do more errands in the daytime. Cause if there's more hours in the morning, they're less likely to use them because like Sari, they don't, they don't want it. They don't, we're not going to do stuff. They're cranky. They're, we're not going to seize the day as much. Uh, yeah, as we well, <laughs> <laughs> Most people are not going to seize the day unless they've <laughs> already been awake for a while. Mm-hmm. But there, there are people who think that, um, and and there's some evidence to back up the claim that it's actually better for you to have more daylight in the mornings than in the evenings because it gets you up. It, it establishes a more healthy circadian rhythm and that people who live, as I do, on the western edge of time zones and so have are already in a situation where we have uh, later sunsets and later sunrises uh, have some very minor but measurable negative health impacts because of that because we sleep less well maybe which is why i saw on twitter people shouting that congress was being anti-science which oh, no. i was like oh boy <laughs> why can't why can't we just do something without yelling uh yeah i don't give a rat's ass if the sun that's rises the later. right reaction <laughs> also I, yeah in general don't give a rat's ass <laughs> <laughs> Oh, if only we could all be Sam's. <laughs> Every week here on Tangents, no. we get together to try to one-up, amaze, that. and delight each other with science facts while trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for Glory and for Hank Bucks, which I will be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of them will be crowned the winner. Now, as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from Sam. Listing. Zero bed, zero bath. 
sleeps 24,567. This treehouse location is perfect for large families that value an open floor plan and plenty of storage over personal space. <laughs> Huge pantry, custom made for storage of particularly sticky foods. Giant nursery, ideal for broods. Access via wing to many of the most popular flowers in town. All organic construction. Learn what the buzz is about. Contact your real estate agent today. I forgot to say this is a game. What am I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> is it a beehive? It's a beehive, baby. Hey. All Listing. right. I like this. You going to give me more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a couple yeah. more. Listing. One bed, zero bath, 1.2 square inches. This gorgeous Oceanside property has been recently vacated and is ready for a highly motivated and molting individual. Cozy little beach bungalow, the perfect fit for homebodies. Don't like the location? Just lift this mobile home up and scuttle off to greener pastures. Snap this one up before someone else does. That's your favorite animal. <laughs> Obviously, the hermit crab. Little shell for a hermit crab, yes. <laughs> okay, here's another one. Listing. One bed, one bath. Rustic Riverside Lodge, custom built by industrious carpenters and ideal for a young family looking to get away from it all. Is self-sufficiency important to you? This property comes with an aquatic garden, ideal for the vegan lifestyle. Value security? This quirky home features a moat and submerged entrance. Waddle to the nearest real estate agent and start enjoying the simple mountain life today. Is it a beaver's den? Uh-huh. Okay, here's the last one. The hardest one yet. Listing. One bed, zero bath is sticks this unique property is just a pile of twigs and garbage in a tree not a good place to live really or to have babies especially if your babies start out as orbs that roll around and break if they fall out of a tree some people don't seem to mind though contact your real estate agent if you want to live on top of a bunch of sticks in a tree for some reason that's a bird's nest <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was wondering if it was a specific kind of bird's like nest? a pigeon no, just pigeons are dumb like, I, I was picturing like. a bald eagle because i saw a picture of a bald eagle that was like covered in snow and i was like build a roof my friend We're in roofs. <laughs> you're supposed to be majestic yeah. the topic for the day is homes and sam uh made us poems out of real estate listings of of natural homes created by or lived in by animals. What a love, what a lovely. Th I would read a whole book of those mm -hmm. to my son. I think that that is, I think that we hit on great kids' <laughs> books on this show once a week. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sari, what is a home? So, home, as Sam's poem implied, can be in the human sense, like a house or an apartment or some sort of shelter that is a residence so like you spend more time there than another building like a hotel or uh, a cafe or something like that uh -huh. you uh, keep your stuff you can put your stuff there too you put your stuff there you can often you sleep there for extended periods of time as opposed to like a hotel which is like brief and of like a person or a family or people who choose to share the home together and like roommates and with animals, then it seems to be like there there are a wide variety of structures that animals build for various purposes, like for mating displays or to like capture food, like a spider web. But I would consider like the chunk of animal architecture things homes where they actually settle down, lay eggs, or like use for some sort of shelter or protection. So mm -hmm. 
like a, a hidey hole or like a nest is more of a home than a spider web is. But like also a spider web is kind of a home base. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, that seems pretty homey to me. I'd say that's one of the most homey homes. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the etymology, like where does this word home come from? So this is part of what makes the definition so confusing. The etymology, mm. no one knows. I read no two articles for house and home, and apparently it <laughs> is like the word that we had for our dwelling or wherever we both considered like a structure that we used for home and like psychologically home has been lost to time and is just all over speculation so like we can kind of trace it back to words for like village like how hamlet sounds kind of like home yeah or Mm -hmm. like haunt or like other older words for dwelling so there's Mm -hmm. an old english word ham which is like dwelling place or house. Ham. Or resident. <laughs> yeah, ham. Okay. Yeah. You know. The or house pig. Uh, or, or, or pig meat. Or pig meat. So the old English ham for pig meat had two M's and the old English ham for home had one M. So really, I don't know. I'm stumped. <laughs> and I read a bunch of like smart etymologists and like linguists talk about it of like, I mean... It seems like Old English ham and ham were related, but who knows how the meat was also the home. And like these origins are (laughs) all disputed. So I don't know. It's where you eat your ham. Home's where the ham is. Yeah, home's where the ham is. So I think we can make up that that is my conclusion is wherever we can we can come up with the etymology (laughs) because we know just as much as these other linguists. We'll make it up ourselves. Yeah. Good old ham friend. Well, that must mean that it's time to move on. To the quiz portion of our show. This week, we're going to be playing Tangent's Home Truth or Fail. So homes can be tough to come by, even in the animal kingdom. There are so many sizes and materials and competitors to take into consideration, so animals have to devise their own creative strategies to make sure that they are able to get the right spot and keep it. The following are three stories of animal real estate drama, but only one of these stories is true. The other two are big fat lies. Which one of these is the true story? Is it story number one? To make sure that its home isn't stolen when there is no one around to guard it, the giant burrowing frog will fill its mouth with water and flood their burrow with the water. They'll just glop a bunch of water up and then spit it all out inside of their house. Could be that, but it could also be story number two. Mantis shrimps will fight harder to steal another mantis shrimp's burrow if that burrow is smaller than ideal because it means the occupant is also smaller and thus easier to beat. Or it could be story number three. Chipmunks are sometimes allowed to take up space inside of a nine-banded armadillo's burrow, but not for free. The chipmunks will bring back fruits and leaves for the armadillos to munch on in exchange for the space. I don't think mantis shrimps have houses. I'm just going to say it. I think they just walk around <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> what do they do at night? What do they, they just walk around the whole time? I don't know. Do they even sleep? I don't know what shrimp do. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah, I actually can't, couldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need it. They don't need a house. They don't need to sleep. They're fine. The ocean's their ho- home. That chipmunk one sounds so damn familiar to me. I feel like there are a lot of mutualisms, and so I cannot tell you which ones are mm-hmm. true or fake. 
Right. Uh, and and also which one is just the plot of of a Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers episode? Mm-hmm. No, Chip and Dale yeah. would never. <laughs> but would Alvin? Oh, no. Alvin, will, Alvin definitely would. I just think the Toad one sounds cool. Like as soon as Hank said the Toad one, I was like, "Yes, this must exist. Yeah. I love it. It's like a, <laughs> that's like the cartoon I want to watch for some reason. I don't know why I'm so entertained by this idea. It sounds like frog. a Pokedex entry, honestly. It does it? a little bit. That's why you like it so much. That's probably it. It sounds like a, <laughs> or it sounds like the like the Wallywogs from Pikmin, which I'm also very yes. into these days, where they just go blah and then water. Does Hank comes know out. anything about Pikmin? That's what we got to figure out. I've played, played the Pikmin. first two Pikmin games, but That's I don't remember what a Wallywog is. It's just a frog. Well. It's a big yellow frog <laughs> that you got to yeah. fight with the blue guys because otherwise the other ones start drowning. They'll they wiggle. Drown. And then you got to yeah. whistle. You Why can't you ask out. us questions about Pikmin ever, Hank? Why you got to ask us science questions? <laughs> <laughs> this is a fun game. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go to, uh, I'm going to go with uh, the chipmunks live inside of armadillo burrows. Uh, probably some other animal and you just swapped them out. But mm-hmm. this sounds familiar to me. I'm going to go with frogs because I still think it's cute. And I just didn't even really yeah. pay attention to the other two. <laughs> 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 I, I like the frog fact a lot as well, but it is a big fat lie. Damn. <laughs> they, they, these do exist. The giant burrowing frog is a frog in Australia, uh, but it just burrows. It doesn't blop a bunch of water out of its giant mouth and into its hole, but I would love it if it was. Armadillos also do not rent out space to uh, chipmunks. Shoot. Sam. <laughs> uh, it's a great idea. Uh, but <laughs> the lucrative. thing that you that you didn't pick up on is that armadillos don't eat leaves and fruits; they eat insects. Oh, uh, classic mistake on my part. Classic blunder. <laughs> so, the reality is that mantis shrimps are famous for their club-like arms that they use to throw ridiculous punches. And researchers wanted to see how mantis shrimps put those punches to work when looking for burrows. In general, if the burrow options available to a mantis shrimp are all unoccupied, the mantis shrimp will go for a burrow that's a little bit bigger for them because it gives them space to grow. But when researchers introduced a mantis shrimp to a tank with a plastic burrow that was already occupied by another mantis shrimp, they found that the mantis shrimp would fight harder and more successfully if they were fighting for a burrow that was slightly smaller than them, like a little too small for them, because it meant that the person living there was also smaller than them. And by person, I mean shrimp. That's fun. Yeah, That's so mean. Yeah. <laughs> so he's got to find another person to be a bully to. It's like, oh man, lost my home. Somewhere else. Yeah, and then they got to this... like, it's like the opposite of what the hermit crabs do, where they just like fight each other for holes and make each other successively more homeless. Hermit mm-hmm. crabs collaborate to right. exchange homes. Somewhere out yeah. there, there's the smallest mantis shrimp in the world. And that's. It's too bad for that guy. Yeah, he's just like, I guess I'll just walk. <laughs> <laughs> My home is wherever I am. <laughs> yeah, he's plucky. <laughs> well, congratulations on being tied zero to zero. Next, we're wow. going to take a short break. That seemed really mean. Then it will be time <laughs> for the fact off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Factor, whose ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning. Stress is stressful. I don't like it. <laughs> Life just goes and goes, and it doesn't ever stop going. There's always something else to do. And one of those things is a very important thing, 
called Eating Dinner. To eat dinner, one must pick out what they want to eat and then go to the grocery store and then buy the stuff and then chop the stuff and do other things to the stuff. You have to heat the stuff and put it in water. And then afterwards, you have to take the things that you heated it in and they're gross and you have to make them clean again. Meanwhile, life is still happening. That all all that's building up around you. Oh, this is like, terrifying. I'm so yeah. I never want to cook again. <laughs> You're right, factor ad. I don't. I don't want to have this happen. This is unacceptable. <laughs> Sometimes, uh, parentheses, all the time, uh, you just don't have the time or the energy for meal planning on top of everything else going on in your life. So thankfully, Factor is here to help. Factor's two-minute meals are your secret weapon come mealtime. You can get chef-crafted meals that are better for you and better tasting than takeout delivered right to your door. Ready to heat and ready to eat. No prep, no mess, no sink full of dishes, no stress. We're kicking stress out the door in 2024, and I certainly hope that's true for me. <laughs> Heck yeah, Factor. Kick my stress. Right out the door. <laughs> I'm going to get a chest freezer just for these meals. <laughs> oh, you're going to need one because they have over 35 meals to choose from. Flexible ordering options, add-ons, smoothies. Factor offers all sorts of fast, simple solutions when you're too busy to cook. Banish your stress, even if it's just for like one hour while you're eating dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash tangents50 and use code tangents50 to get 50% off. That's code tangents50 at factormeals.com slash tangents50 to get 50% off. Slasher Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Aspersions. One of those. But... It does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun Mm -hmm. burns out. And you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. (laughs) (laughs) You want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. That bean's not going to grow. If there's there's a constant drain on the the bean, that (laughs) is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and beyond I mean, beans and beyond subscription canceling, (laughs) Rocket Money helps you build budgets, track your spending and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans so they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I'd buy more beans. (laughs) (laughs) Different kind of bean, I guess. A cheaper, more of a cheaper type of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. (laughs) Yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. (laughs) Subscription (laughs) companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot. And now you can use that money for beans instead. Stop wasting (laughs) money on things you don't use and start using money 
on things like beans. Cancel your <laughs> unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for the Fact Off. Our panelists have brought science facts in an attempt to blow my mind. After they have presented their facts, I will judge them and award Hank Bucks to the thing that I think will make the best TikTok. And to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question. It is this. Researchers are using machine learning to help people waste less energy in their homes. A 2020 study used publicly available energy consumption data from London homes to determine when each household usually uses their appliances. Then they trained an algorithm on that data to predict future energy use at different times of the day. Using that algorithm, they could turn people's smart devices on when they usually use them and off afterwards. That saves energy without asking people to change the amount of energy they actively use on a daily basis. Because a lot of waste comes from things like just forgetting to turn off a light when you leave a house. So how many kilowatt hours of sustained household energy would machine learning save the average London household per day? Well, having no concept of what a kilowatt hour is, I'll say 12. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm glad I'm not the only dummy here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I pay a power bill, but do I look at the kilowatt hours? I do not. Um, a hundred? <laughs> it's, it's two. Oh. It's two? <laughs> that's oh, low. man. Okay. I guess kilo is a pretty big, that's a big watt. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 like a, it's like a thousand of them. Yeah. It was 2.23, which isn't nothing. Like, uh, you know, a hundred watt light bulb, which we barely have anymore for an hour would be a would be hundred watt hours. So oh. you need 10 of those to make a kilowatt hour. Huh. So good on them. That means, Sam, you get to decide who goes first. Uh, I'm just going to get it out of the way and go first. When people build houses, we have the ability to design them based on our preferences. Uh, do you like to cook? Put a big old kitchen in your house. You want to feel secure? Put a gate, put some some bars on your windows, some cameras. Love to party? Build a ballroom. Uh, and other animals can custom build their homes too. Bees, like I mentioned earlier, can barf up houses that fit their needs exactly. Uh, some birds <laughs> that don't live just on piles of sticks weave intricate little basket nests, and some animals dig expansive tunnel systems. But a lot of animals are just stuck with what they can find. And almost none are as stuck with what they can find as the humble fish. They don't have hands. The flowing nature of their ocean environment washes things away. They kind of just have to like find a hole or a shell and say, this is where I live. And that's all that they can do. <laughs> but what if you gave a fish the chance to pick its dream home? Furthermore, why would you give a, a fish a chance to pick its dream home? And what could we possibly learn from this? <laughs> so first, we need to quickly address another problem with fish homes, specifically coral reefs. Humans are fucking them up. So scientists are working on ways to help struggling reefs, and one way to do this is with biodegradable 3D-printed fake coral-like structures that can keep fish around uh, and give live coral a scaffolding to grow on as it bounces back. So some scientists got this technology and went about the work of dutifully recreating coral and other structures as they exist in nature, but some scientists got a little weird with it and got to thinking this would be the perfect opportunity to figure something out about fish brains. So researchers from the Max Planck Institute of Animal Behavior printed up a bunch of shell-like structures that couldn't occur in nature, like huge shells with tiny openings or really long shells filled with holes everywhere. And they placed them in lake, 
Tanganyika in Africa, which is a lake full of shell-dwelling cichlid fish, and studied what the fish like. But they weren't just building fish dream homes for fun. By mixing up qualities of shelters that don't exist together in nature, scientists can get a better idea of what fish are actually looking for in a home as opposed to what's just available to them. And so one researcher put it this way. Quote, I choose my beer based on taste, and I don't really care about the bottle it comes in. But someone watching me might notice that all my favorite beers come in green bottles and conclude Mm. that I prefer green bottles. Mm -hmm. So what they discovered was that fish prefer very intact, holeless as possible shells. And they also liked big, long ones, because who doesn't want a big old house? Uh, And they pick (laughs) shells also that match the chirality or the coiling direction of the shells in their natural habitat. Like, they'll stay away from... That one's going the wrong way. Stay away from that one. Uh, The fish also seemed to prefer artificial shells to natural ones. So, obviously, they know what they like, and they will select for that. So, what exactly can we learn from this research? Uh, Well, stuff about animal cognition and decision-making, for sure. Uh, But bringing it back to reefs... And this is totally conjecture for me, not mentioned in the papers, but let's get down there and do some real estate development. Plus up those old reefs, attract some vital fish species back with like unbeatable housing and get those healthy reefs back in shape, huh? Unbeatable housing. Yeah. Got some big, long nooks and crannies in there. Yes. We'll start charging the fish rent, huh? Come on. Yeah. You got to bring me some leaves and fruit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What's your job? Oh, I'm a landlord. Or fish. (laughs) Fish landlord. (laughs) The most common job in the world now. There's so many fish. Do we have to 3D print these things? Could there be a better way to do it? Uh, Like make them out of clay or something? I don't know. Just like like just the way that you make most plastic things? Well, probably. But I think that somebody figured out how to 3D print this like corn-based reef structure. And then other people were like, hey, let's do some fun stuff with that. Right. Okay. Yeah. That can be the your competition business. There can be the 3D printed reef houses, and then you can have artisanal handmade reef houses <laughs> yeah. uh, for the fish that want a rustic flair. Uh-huh. Imperfections <laughs> that only come with a handcrafted yeah. shell. A well up. Yeah, home. for all the yeah. all the cottage core cichlids mm-hmm. out there. Sarah, what do you got? So one thing that feels very human to me is how carefully we manicure the spaces around our houses, not just inside, like carefully shaped hedges, mowed lawns, and meticulously weeded flower beds where only certain species we deem acceptable are allowed to grow. But animals put a lot of thought into their homes too, as we've talked about this whole episode, and one of the most intense gardeners out there is the lemon ant, Myrmelacista schumani. They're not bright yellow, and they don't eat lemons. Uh, They live in various parts of the Amazon rainforest, and their name comes from some of the lemon-scented chemical alarms they store in their bodies, citronellol and two isomers of citrol. And these ants also carry around a classic defensive chemical, too, called formic acid, which is the venom found in a variety of hymenoptera stings, so like bees, wasps, and ants. And besides using formic acid in bug-to-bug combat, Lemon ants use it for some organic gardening. They chomp on the leaves of plants they don't like, stick their butt in the holes, and then inject formic acid into the vascular system to kill it off, with dead leaf tissue showing up within 24 hours. And by plants they don't like, I mean any plant besides the trees they call home. So this has led to entire groves of trees called Devil's Gardens, where there are up to hundreds of one species of tree surrounded by very few other plants. 
Lemon ants carve out a nest in the crevices, hollow stems, and swellings called galls on all of these trees, which certainly sounds like a hellish situation to stumble upon. So Devil's Gardens have been observed by humans across time and actually got their name from indigenous peoples who believed an evil forest spirit lived in them because that homogeneity of trees is an odd sight in an otherwise lush ecosystem like a rainforest. Mm -hmm. Later on, we thought that the tree species themselves were ruthless assassins like Deroya hirsuta, um, and they killed off other plants with chemicals in their roots to make more room to grow. And while that still may be a factor, a 2005 study directly observed ants weeding out the competition via the chomping injection. So their preferred tree species can thrive, making this a solidly mutualistic relationship where the ants have more places to call home and the trees have more room to spread out. So the researchers estimated that some colonies of lemon ants have grown to millions of workers and thousands of queens, and they calculated that one devil's garden with 351 trees might be over 800 years old. So this is Mm. definitely an intergenerational family home kind of situation. And so even though humans definitely change our environments a ton to build our homes, the fact that the lemon ant can basically eliminate biodiversity in a chunk of the rainforest all to make a little treehouse is pretty freaking wild. How am I supposed gonna compete with the with Devil's Groves? I can't compete with Devil's Groves. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's right. It's true, Sam. My first question mm-hmm. is: You said they could be up to three hundred and fifty years old. Eight hundred. Eight hundred and fifty years old. Eight hundred years old. Three hundred fifty-one trees. And they're quite. It's quite a large area of tree. Yes. What? prevents it from getting bigger. Why haven't they taken over the whole rainforest yet? I So this is a question. I read a paper about it. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. Well, Sam, now you're really in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah read a paper about the question I had. Oh, no. Well, you didn't do that. Case. I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I had a question, the same question, too. So it seems like the cost is increased herbivores, like the, the Devil's Gardens, in, in addition to being a concentrated nest for ants, it is also like a concentrated, like kind of cleared out area for herbivores to come and like munch on the tree leaves. So mm. a lot of this is through estimates and like short observations and extrapolating bigger conclusions. But I'm pretty sure these researchers basically like observed herbivores passing in and out of the area. And even though there were ants in these trees, plenty of them ate the leaves of the trees or mm-hmm. like scurried around and ate the decomposing matter and whatnot. So these devil's gardens, even though the ants like preferentially killed all other trees except for this one species, uh, other animals were like, I'm going to eat you too, just enough that the trees can't like take over the entire forest and and continue spreading. So weird. So, but like before we figured out that it was ants, people would just like walk in and be like, this is a very weird part of the forest. Mm-hmm. Who yeah. has done this? Yeah. Satan has been to this piece <laughs> of the forest. Mm-hmm. Where are, where does this happen? In the Amazon rainforest, there are different regions of the Amazon rainforest that can be dominated by different tree species in the Devil's Gardens. Uh, So, like, depending on what tree is most well-suited to attracting the ants, so the ants have, like, evolved over time to be like, yes, Mm -hmm. this is our home, dominate different regions of the Amazon rainforest. 
Weird and cool. Well, mm -hmm. now it's my turn to decide who wins this episode of SciShow Tangents. And I think that it, the winner is Sari, because that's just very weird. And also, is there a universe where ants just ate the entire rainforest? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So it doesn't seem impossible to me. No. If they could be doing this over 800 years, they could just be like, oh, munch, munch, munch. Turns out we like one tree and we're going to turn the entire rainforest into a monoculture of ant trees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like they did to the rainforest what we did to bananas. Also, they did to the rainforest what we did to the rainforest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is what I thought you were going to say. Yeah. Also that. And now that means that it's time to ask the science couch where we've got listener questions for our virtual couch of finely honed scientific minds. This one is from at tall teen turtle who asks, what is the breakdown on how many animals make homes versus how many animals use homes made by others and how many just don't do homes at all? Are most mammals homemakers and most fish free roaming? I know. It's uh, fish that ain't, huh? Uh, there are definitely fish that have homes, but I would say probably most fish. I would guess that this is correct. Most fish are free roaming and probably a greater proportion, but maybe not a majority of mammals have a little house somewhere, hmm. sometimes. A lot of rodents do and bats. And like, that's most of the species. And that's all of it. Yeah. The only yeah. ones that don't, I feel like, are like, I don't know, horses. The yeah, horses like have deer, houses. That deer just sort of walk them. around and lay down yes. wherever. Yeah. <laughs> How did I do, Siri? <laughs> I mean, so I, in the email, picking the questions, I prefaced this with like, this is a really interesting question that is going to be really hard to Google. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's your problem, not yeah, my problem. Yeah, yeah. From what I can tell by like our definition of home at the top of the episode, so saying like horses like standing out in a field does not count as a home, like migratory mm -hmm. species, which build stopping points, don't necessarily count as a home, except for like a salmon that returns to a spawn. It feels like a majority of animals, like of mammals, have some sort of like structure. And I think when you look into like the different kinds of animals, once you take insects into account, then like the number of things that have a structure or oh. like a, a, a nook or cranny that they call yeah. home greatly mm -hmm. increases so many ants out there living in yeah they home. got they got a big house with a lot of friends in it yeah so a lot of animals use shelter but the the most interesting part of this question that i didn't realize was going to be the rabbit hole that i fell down is animals that live in other animals oh we're homes aren't we we're sure. a home baby yeah home yeah. is where the heart is because you got heartworms yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i started looking at like cuckoo parasite mm -hmm. like brood parasites where which is those birds that lay eggs in other nests but there are huge estimates of how many parasites there are so according to one or two papers parasites are in about 15 of the generally recognized 35 animal phyla so that's like 43 percent and these researchers estimate that nearly half of all animals may have a parasitic lifestyle and there have been Whoa. transitions from a just like a, a carnivorous herbivorous whatever lifestyle to parasitism at least 223 times in evolutionary history that they can tell from like genetic markers and and whatnot a lot of them are worms so like annelids i don't know what rotifers are if we would call them worms 
little guys. A lot of them are little little guys. guys. (laughs) But also like mollusks, also arthropods, also uh, nidarians. Like there, there are parasites across a lot of a lot of phyla. And so if you want to consider parasites as Mm -hmm. animals that make homes or like use homes made by others and and like the bodies of others as homes, then you could get up to like millions, millions of animals that do that instead of making their own shelter. So I would say that's the most popular home. And that's that's the weirdest part of this breakdown. <laughs> I just wanted to make an excuse to talk about parasites because we don't think about them very much. The most popular house is somebody else. <laughs> Gross. Well, if you want to ask the Science Couch your question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Or you can join the SciShowTangents Patreon and ask us on Discord. Thank you to Mary Nara on Discord, at Jen Aradia, and everybody else who asked us your questions for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, super easy to do that. You can go to patreon.com slash SciShowTangents to become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes that are very silly and very fun. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's very helpful and it helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell, tell people, people about, about us. Thanks for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes along with Seth Glicksman. Our story editor is Alex Billow. Our social media organizer is Paolo Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistants are Devoki Chakravarty and Emma Douster. Our sound design is by Joseph Tunamedish. Our executive producers are Caitlin Hoffmeister and me, Hank Green, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you, and remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing... Snails poop into their shells, which I guess sounds gross, but we poop in our homes, too. They do? It's all... (laughs) (laughs) And then it just stays in there forever. It fills up its big poop chamber. No, no, no. It's all good as long as there's a good waste removal system in place, which they also have. Their poop slides out their anus into their shell and then out an anal pore in their shell. Uh, I think sometimes they just poop directly out, but I think sometimes they poop in and then back out. But anyway, when that poop leaves the snail's home, (laughs) it can contribute to the spread of African swine fever virus. This virus survives longer in snail intestines than it does in the soil. So as snails move around and empty poop out of their mobile home, the virus spreads to new areas where unsuspecting pigs might live. Just seems like such a bad way to do it. (laughs) You don't need a butt and an anal pore. You just need a butt. (laughs) You're making things very confusing. Which, Which part of these, which thing is the butt? Is it the pooper part or is it the part that's on the end?